I popped a mint. Oh, right into my mouth so that uh, everyone who is here in this room would smell cinnamon fresh breath. You mean me from across the plexiglass? With the plexiglass right I don't yeah. know why. I guess it was just for my good Those pleasure. were nice gestures before plexiglass, <laughs> pandemics, and masks. Um, yes. No, we have yes. we're going to have to start caring about people's breath again, or our own breath. But to just kind of explain, why does she sound like she's eating a, no. from a buffet? It's, it's a mint. I'm just enjoying my... Uh, my cinnamon mint. Yeah, so th- this is, it's Rochelle and Carter here. We do uh, an out loud version of A Quiet Time, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd like to get into it with a little something, a little, little quirky. So, that, so uh, Well, is that, is that what, I literally ate the mint, though. It's not like, a, hey, for quirk's sake. Like you were faking the whole time. Hey, you know what you need to tell? Because this is just a great story. Okay. Tell that Barbara Streisand story about her audition. Oh, okay, Barbara. Because because yeah, you're joking about this is this is why it came to my mind. If you were if you were really that crazy right. to, to fake eating a mint well, just now, for conversation piece, you've kind of given it. A, it doesn't a matter. It's a great. Away. It doesn't matter. It's a great story. Okay, so the story goes that Barbara Streisand, before she was, you know, Barbara Streisand, uh-huh. she was at an audition, and she goes on stage, and she's chewing gum during the audition, and she's like, oh, oh and she stops with whatever it is she's about to do. Yeah. Takes the gum out of her mouth, goes and sticks it under a piece of furniture that's on stage. Okay. Does her thing. Very unprofessional. And then walks off. Right. And then when they go to get the gum out from under the chair later, there's no gum. (laughs) They're like, give that woman the job. She completely, she wanted to do something that stood out. Yeah, that would. That's a great story. Yeah. That's a great story. The problem is, is that like knowing my luck, I would probably hit do real gum and then go really do it. And then they like never hire this woman ever. <laughs> she's, she but feels, I got the, it was Barbara Streisand. No, it wasn't the same. Yeah, she's in middle school. What is she sticking gum <laughs> under here for? Um, all right. So uh, a couple of things that I want to get to, I'm in uh, John six. Uh, I found myself in John six. I, uh, I'm not even reading through the book of John, but I, I landed here a couple of days ago and there's two big things that I want to get to yeah. there. And then this incredible conversation that we were having about a discussion on, on how to share faith. Uh, but in John 6, there is a major update to a podcast episode we did around Easter time. We kind of just had a candid conversation about Judas. Judas is scary. Yes. And what what is going through that dude's head to follow Jesus for three years? Yeah. Did he believe and fall away? Did he never believe? Was he faking it? Like, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? And I have an update for you. You have an update. By the way, Judas, probably the least used baby name. Ever, yeah, you think that's probably true because you yeah. should name him Judas. No, no, I'm even good. if you're not a, a Christian. Yeah, that's not a, that's not know. a good look. Yeah, usually, usually, maybe it is for you. I just don't, I would hate it. I named my baby Judas. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, um, so John six, and I'm I have not told Rochelle what the verse is yet because I just want to get her reaction. Right, John six, and you are having me read out of the. The New Living Translation. Yeah, and really, it kind of just says it, I think, all around, even like King James, for example. But uh, John 6, 64. All right, I'm looking at John 6, 64, which, of course, I have memorized. In fact, yeah, right. (laughs) In fact, go ahead and start at verse 60. Okay. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and 
he knew who would betray him. Now, I'm going to add 65 and 66. Okay. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the father gives them to me. At this point, because we kind of forget, I uh-huh. honestly forgot again until I read this just yesterday, that it's more than 12 that are just that are following him around. Yeah. And so it says in verse 66, this is when the, the heat's getting turned up, right? Right, right. At this point, many of his disciples turned away mm-hmm. and deserted him. Right. And then he asked the 12, uh, this is under verse 67, Jesus yeah. turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave? And and it goes on from a conversation with their It's with still vague to me. Okay. It's still vague because and I would have to look at like somebody who has studied. Um, and I do believe that John was written in Hebrew. It was not Greek. Okay. So I think I would have to have somebody that studied Hebrew. Okay, let's really break this down and translate it. But it does say for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and he knew who would betray him. It wasn't the same per se. There's a conjunction in there. Kind of interesting that he... It's mentioned in the same same thing, though. But it makes me wonder. I'm sure John, even if they didn't have, I'm sure that John wondered it as well. But see, it also kind of classifies in the next couple of sentences, like who he's talking about. The people who turned away and left at that at that moment were the ones clearly who were like, "Yeah, we're not on board." I I think specifically because he said, "Who who would betray him?" And it goes. The verse ends this. Well, this is what he says Mm. in verse seventy, the last two verses of the chapter. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. Mm. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. That's kind of damning. Yeah. And so that's why I just especially lumped in with the people who deserted him, who doesn't believe him. You know, I just take that as and yes, I'm I'm no scholar. And certainly I'd, I'd like to know more as well. But to me, this says Judas was just faking it the whole time. Mm. I mean, that, yeah. that's how I would take this whole passage here. Yeah. No, I and again, just reading it verbatim, and you're taking John's account here. So this is what he remembers hearing. He this yeah. remember, and and John was there, right? So he would know. That's true. But I also know, um, and this is not to take away from what Scripture is telling at all. But I do know that we all have our own take on stuff. Mm-hmm. So if there's twelve different people there, there's twelve different personalities there. There are twelve different interpretations of what they saw. And now looking back, hindsight is always twenty twenty. He then put pieces together because you remember, it's John that Jesus says, the man who dips the bread in the bowl with me sure. is the one. And John's still asking at that last supper, who is it? You know, so he's now looking back and saying, ha. And he, it is John it's saying, it's, it's not Jesus' words here when he says, and he knew who would betray him. Mm. So John is saying that. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah. rest of this, you know, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. One is a That's devil. just a, a quote from Jesus. Yeah. What does that mean? That you, means that he knew that yeah. one of you. So, but because I think what we talked about last time when we had this conversation around Easter sure. is that Jesus gave up his divine rights. So, so for example, we know that the son doesn't know or didn't know uh-huh. when the second coming is. Right. That's only my, you know, only the father knows that. Well, there's some dis- debates between scholars. Yeah. Uh, does he still not know? Or did he only know, not know when he was on earth because he was, he was also fully a man and he gave up some of his divine rights. And so this might be, you know, it's just kind of interesting. This it's is just, just me talking sure. is when Jesus says, I, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. Mm-hmm. Does, well, John said he knew. 
So that's why I'm going to go off of that. But it's it's just what we were talking about last time was sure. fascinating. Jesus knew when we would betray, betray sure. him. But when did Jesus know that? When and did he know? And did he, Judas know at the same time? Yeah. Because yeah. he could have started out all all in. Yeah, and so that's what we were. That's what the. Yes. Yes. It's all coming back to me. Yeah. The conversation that we had. And that's when I I ran into this and I was like, oh, OK. Uh, he was a faker and Jesus knew. And I that's, did, that's what I, I believe looked now. Up translations of devil. Uh, it says adversary, arch enemy. Certainly. Satan is in there along with yeah. fiend. Um, I, I've heard people exclaim about their children. Uh, gosh, it was the worst. I had my son in my arms. Though. Your son is so precious. My kid is a hellion. So that's, that's like, loving. That's loving. But I wanted yeah. to kind of look at the translation. What does that mean? Is it is he literally saying he is the devil? He is a spawn of Satan. He is this. Or does it mean yeah. something else in context? Yeah. ESV says devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, KJV says devil. That's King James. Uh, let's see. NASB is very literal. So as as Carter's looking this up, though, that this is the the thing that I'm intrigued by dissecting stuff, because all our lives we've received it one way, and God may be saying, "Hey, I would love to usher in some context to help you unpack something a little bit more." And that's all this is about. And even if you went further, you're like, nope, literally, this is what this means. And when we get to heaven and Jesus is like, nope, knew from the beginning. And he did, too. He wasn't a believer on board. Like we find that out later, in, you know, and in, in eternity. Uh, it was like, great. But just exploring it, I think, is so good because for, for a long time as a child, you receive as a child, it's a simple one way thing. That is good. That is bad. Well, the more I I discover about my own person, the more I discover what may start out as sincere. I can along the lines, the enemy comes along and says, hey, Rochelle, why don't you do this? Oh, and then you start to see, oh, I started sincere and I started getting sidetracked because I allowed my humanity to come in. That doesn't mean that I was always per se a devil, but I got sidetracked by self. The prophet Jonah, the moment I hear the word prophet, that's a good guy. Well, then you start to look at the story of Jonah. You're like, oh, he was a disobedient prophet. (laughs) He wasn't really a good guy. He's kind of a a mess a little bit, you know? So I just, it's one of those things where I'm like, I kind of want to go a little deeper. You know, it's fascinating. I I was just going to say about the other people that weren't Judas, you know, I would say they, they, well, it says they didn't believe. Yeah. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. Now, again, this is setting Judas aside. Sure. But they didn't believe. And those are the ones that left. They deserted him. So uh, that's why I think with the you're a new creation when you have the spirit of God in you. And so those people didn't believe. So they easily fell away because they never truly believed. Yeah. So. Well, to get to (laughs) how how to be uh, authentically, I think I think when you are a believer, or maybe even on the fringe and you're wondering, we've talked about this in, in many past episodes, how to be right with God. And I just, it was another, mm. you know, I don't know about a revelation, but it was just nice to see the words of Jesus specifically saying, how do you become right with God? Mm-hmm. And it's 629. It's this, it's same. It's still John 629. I like it when you get things from the, um, for lack of a better term, the horse's mouth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is straight up from the Son of God here. So this it's is good. Exactly right. Uh, they replied. Now they uh, there was miracle a miracle context in this, mm-hmm. uh, but they replied. The the crowd replied, "We want to perform God's works too. What should we do?" 
And again, I, I think, you know, there could be maybe some, well, they were talking about miracles. Well, Jesus is his reply is not a miracle. Mm. And so this is, so he really, he's putting it simply, what do we need to do? And yeah. he says it like this, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Mm. Believe in the one he has sent. Mm. He could go on a lot if yeah. he wanted to. You got to be at a church three times and make sure to check in at Sunday school. Yeah. Make sure to get the, the call, the, do the drive through difference and get it behind you. Make sure to give enough tithe. Make sure to... Yeah, he you wear a tie and not an ascot. Exactly right. He sure. doesn't do any of that. Yeah. And so, listen, you know, some of that is is just because you go to church and some of it is heaped on because of the pressure. And then some of it is is living the Christian life of being about it. And, and you know, you're, you're wanting to do good things because he's transformed you. Yeah. But simply put, what is the work that God wants from you? It's to believe in Jesus. Mm. And that's it. Gospel of John was a translation from Aramaic, by the way. Aramaic, okay. I did look that up. Yeah. Uh, so Greek Gospel of John translation from Aramaic. So he wrote it apparently in Aramaic, which is interesting to me mm -hmm. because Aramaic at one point was not a common language in Old Testament times. I read about that the other day. I was like, really? Mm -hmm. I don't know why, because it feels like it did become common later. Because he, that's what they were speaking, yes. right? Jesus was speaking Aramaic. From what I understand, yes. Yeah. That's why, you know, Mel Gibson and the Passion of the Christ, that was Aramaic. Oh, okay. Okay. It's just fascinating to huh. me. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was this this uh, situation that took place, uh, even in the book of Isaiah, I'm reading about where these bad guys, <laughs> there you go, it's either black or white. These bad guys come over to uh, Jerusalem and they're talking straight up, I think in Hebrew, and they asked them, please talk in Aramaic or in a, in a different language because we don't want everybody to understand. We don't want them to feel threatened. Oh, interesting. Yeah. By what's taking, what what you're saying right now about how you're going to take over and it's going to be a real bad situation. And they're like, whatever, we're going to do what we want to do. And so they continue to speak so that the common man could know. And anyway. Dumb. So they gave away their plans? <laughs> Is that what happened? No, they gave away their plans. Like, but it was intimidation. Oh, okay. they want it. Yeah, that's so the, the people behind the palace walls are saying, please stop speaking in a language everybody understands because you're really you're not doing us any favors here in our leadership. We want to look good to our people. They're uh -huh. like, no, we're going to take over your people. Ah, oh, I see. And we're going to take you okay. down and right. we're going to say it in their language so that they all know what's coming. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, what, what? So you're where are you at? Where, Isaiah. Yeah. Isaiah. This one is a complicated read. Just in fact, uh, it was a, last night. I'm like, huh, I need to break this down with some folk who recognize the poetry in Isaiah, mm -hmm. apart from the, the the straight up prophecy versus narrative versus yeah the historical account kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's fascinating. You know, Isaiah. Here's this guy who you know. It, in fact, I you know that he is a true prophet because what he says comes to pass. But think about that, the years ahead, like there were people that followed along Isaiah. They must have seen stuff that maybe didn't get written down per se. Mm -hmm. And they were like, this guy's legit because he's saying things that are lining up and it's happening. So we know he's a true prophet because he had followers. In fact, some theologians believe that half of Isaiah was written by Isaiah. The other half was kind of, um, it was an add-on from the the prophecies and the scroll that he had written on after the um the exile to babylon 
So the first half is like, it's all about, we're going to get exiled. Mm -hmm. This is going to happen with Babylon. The, the second half is like, all right, this is what takes place after the exile. And it's a hopeful situation. But right, right from the get-go with Isaiah, he is talking about a messianic character, a Messiah king who is going to change the game. And Isaiah is this humble character at the beginning because he's the guy who says, here I am, send me. I'll right. go tell people. Yeah. But when he's in the presence of God and he's seeing the, you may remember the the flying angels that are described there, like their faces are covered. They've got like six wings. Yeah. Two of them are covering their faces. The other are covering like their lower halves and then the others are, are flapping around. I've always wondered, I was like, what's up with that? But this imagery, this is what he sees, you know, and he's like, I am not going to live through this because I'm in the presence of God. He's seeing this hmm. and everything that they believe and know from the Lord. Like you cannot look upon the face of God and live. So I'm going to die here. And this one of these little angelly guys. Sure. I'm sure if I ever get the pleasure of meeting this angelly guy, he's going to yeah. be like, you know, I didn't appreciate that. And that was anything a, for quite time treat me like I was a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> but he comes over and he's like, you're not going to die, but you are correct in assuming that you need to somehow get past the prerequisite in being in the presence of God, which requires your righteousness, complete righteousness. Because mm. there's no way into his presence without you being somehow justified to be here and yeah. whole, and made holy. So he takes this burning hot coal and he touches it to his mouth and that symbolizes his purification hmm. so that he can, you know, withstand and be in the presence of God and, and, and then live to tell the tale. And the tale is, it, it's a long book and a lot of it is like, oh my word. I, I've even heard people say, um, if you read the prophecy about how Jesus is going to be here, and then it, they go on to say, look at all the ways that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. And you pull those prophetic words from the book of Isaiah. If you're just looking at that haphazardly, which is very understandable why you would, because to me, there's a lot of confusion in reading it. Like there's some that's super clear. It's like, OK, uh, a, a virgin will give birth. That's pretty clear. But right. some of the other stuff around it's like, huh, well, is he talking about him here? Is he talking about who is this servant that he keeps talking about that's going to suffer horribly. I think it's Jesus. Is it Jesus or is it alluding to somebody else? And it is all this beautiful way of saying up until the exile of Babylon, we have made a mess of things. We have been a disobedient people, but he's going to work it out. Just hang in there. He's going to work it out. And from this stump, this new shoot is going to come up, this, this burnt stump. Because they've been cut off or are about to be. Something new is going to come out of it. And you know it's going to come from the seed of this lineage. And uh, it's, so, again, it's all this poetry. And it's woven. It's beautiful. But at the same time, it's like if you don't have an understanding of Jesus, then this must have been, what does this mean? True. But it was a, it was a book of hope. And the disciples, the apostles were very familiar with the book of Isaiah because I think they lived and breathed the words of Isaiah in dealing with the exile and dealing with you can imagine if you're uprooted from everything you've ever known, taken to another country and led to be a slave, which we have unfortunately in our own history here in the United States of those who have, you know, were taken from the continent of Africa and brought over here. They were all about 
hope the Israelites in coming back home and, and being redeemed in some manner. And so in the second half of Isaiah, there's this new Jerusalem that's going to come about. And there will be a group of people that accept it, receive it, and understand it. And there are going to be a group that reject it. And it's very interesting the way Isaiah paints this, this messianic king. This king is going to be treated in a way that king should not be treated. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be despised. Some people will be on board and some people won't. God is doing a new thing. It's just an incredible book. It is widely um, quoted from in and uh, the New Testament from the apostles along with the Psalms. So it's very familiar to them. And that's, yeah, you think about that, maybe that book that's been a blessing to you or a song that's been a blessing to you that in the middle of distress, God shared this with you and you were given hope. I think that was the book of Isaiah and the book of Psalms for so many of the Jewish people in, in dealing with exile for hundreds of years. And at the same time, the people who it's like, okay, well, after that experience of being exiled, why would there still be a group of people that would reject this, this new hope, this new Jerusalem situation? And I think it's because they felt like they were betrayed Mm. by God. You know, you, you let us be taken out of our comfort zone to this new land. And that's putting it mildly uprooted, devastated, killed, you know, massacred in, in some places, but at the same time, if you read only that part in the Bible, yeah, it does kind of make it look like a cruel situation from our God. But you have to read the backstory. There's a lot of backstory. We're dealing with people who are giving their kids up to, to idolatry, sacrificing them, you know, on altars. This is, it, they had gone deeply wrong. And so now God's like, you have to deal with the consequences, but I want you to know I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to do something. I, I'm kind of amazed by the, in, in any of these, with the uh, celebration of future hope. Yeah. When you think about today with uh, even, um, oh, I guess I'll use this example. You can feel one way or the other on, on it politically, but with uh, global warming, climate change, uh, even just take, even I think something that we can all agree on, just not littering, you know, taking care of the earth as sure. best we can and sure. planting trees and stuff like that. And you have people that really think about future generations. Mm -hmm. And I often don't, mm -hmm. I often like, well, you know, how are my kids going to be affected? Maybe grandkids. Besides that, I don't really, I don't really care what's going to be happening in 300 years. Huh. And, um, this is bigger than that. Yeah. And, and so as they should, but I would still have trouble with it. A hope is coming. Mm. Well, I'm going to die before this happens. And yet there's such a, you know, like you said, the second half of the chapter, such a... The, sec a, the second part of the book. The yeah. second part of the book, I mean, uh -huh. it's such a, a a big celebration. It's a big deal. And now you know? they, and it it's uh, foreshadowed in the first part of Isaiah. Like you hear these snippets where you're like, that sounds like Jesus. I even wrote mm -hmm. it down in the Bible because I was so confused at the time. I was like, this couldn't be anybody but Jesus. Right. Right. Right now, what he is saying, it is so verbatim what takes place with our Savior, which is why when you are familiar with the passages of Isaiah, um, like I, there's that incredible account in the book of Acts where Philip is on the road and this gentleman who's described in Scripture as an Ethiopian eunuch is reading over what book? The book of Isaiah. But he doesn't understand it. And he was like, yeah. Rochelle over here is like, I don't know what I'm reading. And Philip comes along and he says, let me tell you who you're reading about. Yeah. 
There yeah. was a clear understanding. There's a clear connection. And the more you read Isaiah, the more you go, oh, my word. It's nice. It's like knowing the end of the movie mm-hmm. and then and then watching it so I you can, can just kind of, you know, see. Yeah, yeah. go back and, and visit. And, you know, you bring up a character in my mind with Hezekiah. We've talked about King Hezekiah where he wanted 15 years more of life. Like, apparently he, um, his leg was injured and he was going to die. Um, some sort of open wound situation. Later, they put figs on it. He's better uh, because God's like, you know what? I'm going to take I'm going to let you have 15 more years. Hezekiah was one of those guys who really did seek the Lord. He wanted to obey God's law. And Isaiah was the prophet at the time of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah does this thing was so stupid where he invites Babylonian Babylonians into the country. This time, Babylon's not a threat, not like the Assyrians are a threat. And he's like, hey, uh, Come and look at all the wonderful things we have. I'm going to show you my storehouses of gold and everything. And he's showing him all this stuff. And Isaiah's like, did you do that? He's like, yeah. What? You just gave away all our secrets. Speaking of giving away secrets, you just gave away our secrets. <laughs> what are you doing? And, he's, and, and Isaiah says that we're going to be destroyed eventually. And Babylon is going to have the upper hand here. It's going to be Babylon. And Hezekiah's thought is, well, just not on my watch. It's fine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It made me think about, Carter and I were talking about this, um, Hezekiah sought in prayer healing. And I know that I've been in that set of circumstances. I, my dad recently had this bout with colon cancer, seeking healing for my dad. But I am inspired by the prayer of Jesus at the end of that prayer request. Thy will be done. I don't, I didn't read about Hezekiah saying, Lord, your will be done. He just begged for more life. But the quality of life that he led in those last 15 years, they gave away the secrets of of the kingdom to Babylon. Mm. And it also included not caring about his grandchildren. Mm. Do you know, it's just so yeah. I'm like, I need to remember to always when I make a request, you do make a request, but tack on God, but not my will. You know what's going to happen and you know what's best. Right. Yeah. So, and that's hard. I mean, that's hard, but yeah, that's, that's such a good way to look at it. It's easy to look at uh, Hezekiah's situation because I'm like, duh, and then I'll get to, you know, my time to, for whatever. No, but no, but it'd be best if it was this way. (laughs) (laughs) We all do that. I know, I know. Totally do that. So it's really easy to, to, to pull these things from scripture and talk about the stupidity of man. But I would be just, I mean, come on. I'm, I'm included. Exactly. I'm a hypocrite if I'm not going, that's me too. Sure. Sure. It's absolutely me. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, this is fun. Uh, HopeOnDemand.com is, of course, you know, where we're based at. There's other podcasts there. <clears throat> not that you have to download those. You can keep downloading ours. Um, oh, yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, be great. Hey, by the way, if you do choose Judas as a baby name, I we mean no harm. And we, yes, yes. God can redeem it. Yes. What? What do you mean? No, I mean, yeah. He can redeem I mean, that name. We're not Why? even saying it's not. I just feel awkward now because, like, like maybe it's, it's a great name. It's, it's a, a great. Well, Jude was the name of his brother, and it's a derivative of Judas, I think, or the other way around. I don't know. And then it's close big. to Judah. Now we're just digging ourselves out. Okay, uh, we'll see you next week again. Complaints can be sent to that's Rochelle Carrillo at AOL.net. That's an AOL.net How that she did still you has. Know my email address. <laughs> 